should have had that. Okay? Some of you, all right, I, I grew up in the Pentecostal church, we just called it Christmas time. All right, Advent, what is that? Amen. All right, but, but let me give you a quick overview of what Advent is. Advent is actually the original version of Christmas, okay? It's far older than the tradition of Christmas Day. Long before Christmas became a holiday, Christians this time of year would celebrate a season called Advent. Somebody say Advent. Okay, the term Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means the coming or the arrival. It's where we get the word adventure from. How do you know servant Jesus is an adventure? <laughs> Amen. Advent is all about the anticipation and the expectation of Jesus. Now, this may surprise you, but Advent did not begin as a celebration of the birth of Jesus. Advent began as a time to focus on the fact not that Jesus came, but that Jesus is coming back. It's the time when the church would gather and pray and encourage encourage each other and remind each other that He is coming again. Advent was all about expecting His coming and being ready for it. And in case you didn't know it, Jesus is coming back. And He's coming back soon. Tell somebody, he's coming back, and it won't be long. When you look at current events going on in the world, it is abundantly clear that Jesus is coming soon. When you look at the Euphrates River, the fact that you reflect that the Euphrates River is drying up, one of the longest rivers in the world, one of the most prophetic rivers in the Bible that bordered the Garden of Eden, is drying up. If that's not a sign of the times, I don't know what is. Revelation 16, 12, the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Jesus said, well, we, we, we're not going to know the day or the hour, but we'll recognize the times. We'll understand the season. And it's Jesus coming back season, church. The rivers drying up, it was prophesied in Revelation 16, 12, in Jeremiah 50, 38, and in Isaiah 11, 15, and we're seeing it happen right now. When you look at all the events that are going on in Israel and plans and preparations are being made to rebuild the temple and the priestly garments are ready and the sacrificial calves are ready, it won't be long. This Christmas, we celebrate that Jesus came, but we can also celebrate that Jesus is coming again. In the first advent, Jesus came down from heaven to be born of a virgin in Bethlehem. In the second advent, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. In the first advent, he came as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. But in the second advent, he said, I will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, and no more pain. Hallelujah. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. In the first advent, shepherds bowed down and worshipped him. But in the second coming, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The first time he came, he came as a suffering servant, but he's coming back as conquering 
king, king of kings, lord of lords, and of his kingdom there will be no end. But until that moment comes, this world is a dark and hopeless place. You need to know this morning that Jesus is hope. I know one who makes bad people good, and he makes good people better, and he makes broken people whole, and he makes sick people heal, and he makes blind people see, and he makes lame people walk, and he makes dead people get up out of graves. There is no pit so deep that Jesus cannot reach down and rescue you and pull you out and clean you up and put your feet on solid ground. If Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave, there is nothing he cannot accomplish in your life. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He was a miracle worker then. He is still a miracle worker right now. I want you to tell somebody you have hope in Jesus. Look back at Luke chapter 1. It says that, that Zacharias, it's the Greek version of, of the Hebrew word Zechariah, he, he was in the temple ministry. And the Bible says that he and his wife Elizabeth, they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. When I read the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, I see two kinds of hope that we find in the Lord Jesus. Number one, Jesus gives us hope in helpless situations. Notice that Zechariah and Elizabeth were good people. In fact, the Bible says they walked, they walked blameless in all the commandments of God. They were living right. Not only they were good people, they devoted their lives to the service of God. Zechariah was a priest, and Elizabeth was also a Levite, a descendant of Aaron. That means that they both spent their lives in the service of ministry. Even though they were good people, even though they loved God, even though they served God, they could not have the one thing they wanted the most. They wanted a child of their own, but it never happened. You know, it's bad enough to go through the pain of disappointment and agony, agony of not having what you've been praying for, but then they have to deal with judgmental people. Church folks. <laughs> you see, in Hebrew culture, barrenness was, was considered a mark of shame. It was considered a curse. Even Elizabeth herself said in Luke one twenty five that her childlessness was a disgrace among the people. Don't you know people talked about them? Listen, you got to watch who you can find in these days. Can I get a witness? There's a group of four pastors who would meet regularly for breakfast. And one Saturday morning as they were talking, one of the men spoke up and said, You know, confession is good for the soul. Since, you know, we're just all fellow ministers. Why don't we just confess our deepest sins to one another? Maybe we can just find some healing in that. They thought about it for a little bit. They all agreed. And the first pastor said, Well, I struggle with anger. He said, I'm all sweet and nice on Sunday mornings, but when I get home, I cuss like a sailor. I throw stuff and kick holes in the wall. The second pastor said, well, I, I struggle with smoking and gambling, and I go to casinos and smoke cigars all night sometimes. The third pastor said, well, sometimes on Sunday morning, I call the deacons and I tell them I'm sick and I just go play golf. They looked at the fourth preacher and said, well, preacher, what's your struggle? He said, I ain't telling you. 
They said, oh, come on now. We told you our deepest, darkest creatures. you got to tell us what your struggle is. He said, mm-hmm. come on now. We all agree. You've got to tell us what your struggle is. And finally, he started laughing. He said, I struggle with gossip, but I can't wait to get out of here. <laughs> Ooh, I'm going to have a time. But people love to talk. And you know, human nature has not changed. You know they talked about Zachariah and Elizabeth. Oh, Elizabeth and Zachariah couldn't have children. The people around them were flapping those gums. Come on, Zachariah's a priest and Elizabeth's the daughter of priests. They seem like good people. Something must be wrong. Must not be living right. God's not blessing them. They must have some secret sin going on. Hello. You know, you can always tell people talking about you. Because it gets so quiet when you walk in the room. They get all reverent when you're around. <laughs> they act funny when you when you come near them. Listen, next time you see them at Walmart, they duck down the other aisle. People are quick to pass judgment, aren't they? Listen, do not judge somebody just because they're going through something. The Bible says that Elizabeth and Zechariah were good, godly people, blameless in all the commandments of God, yet they still went through something. Jesus said in Matthew 7, what? Judge not lest you be judged. They were good people. They loved God. They served God. But they still had an issue in their life. And it's true. Sin comes at a high cost. Sin will cost you eternal life. It will cost you your physical health. It will cost you unnecessary suffering and pain in this life. But not all suffering is a result of sin. Matthew 5.45 says that rain falls on the just and the unjust. It's because somebody loses their job or experiences a loss or their kids go crazy or they're battling sickness doesn't mean that God is judging them. Y'all with me on that? Because we all face difficult times in life. Elizabeth and Zechariah were good people, but they still faced hardship. Listen, God never promised that we wouldn't find ourselves in helpless situations, but this is what He did promise. Psalm 46 and 1, God God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. We don't have the problem of the absence of problems. We have the promise of the presence of God. God gives us hope in helpless situations. So here we find Zechariah the priest and his wife Elizabeth. They're hurting because they can't have children. They're hurting because people are talking about them. And they're hurting because verse 7 says they were both well, advanced in years. There's a reason school buses don't drop off kids at nursing homes. People who are advanced in years don't have babies. And here's Elizabeth. She's barren. She's been shunned by those around her. On top of that, she's at an age where it is absolutely impossible for her miracle to happen. What she prayed for the most wasn't even possible anymore. It would seem that all hope was lost. It was a helpless situation. But listen to the first thing the angel of God said to Zechariah in Luke one thirteen: Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard. Your prayer is heard. Notice it doesn't say prayers, it says prayer. That's the one thing that they prayed for over and over and over 
and over again. Pastor, what happens if I pray and God doesn't answer? Keep praying. What happens if the door doesn't open? Keep knocking. Child of God, don't give up. Be determined in your faith. Pray and then pray some more. And then pray some more. Keep on praying and do not give up. Don't grow weary in doing well. Maybe you're in a situation like Elizabeth and Zechariah. You've prayed for years and the answer hasn't come. You've prayed for years and people have taunted you and made fun of you and ridiculed you for believing God for something that's impossible. Maybe you've reached a point in your life where it doesn't make sense to pray anymore. I want to encourage you today. Pray anyway. Don't give up hope because our God gives us hope in helpless situations. The only prayer that's never answered is the prayer that's never prayed. Look what the Bible says in Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Ghost. Do not give up. Do not stop praying. Keep trusting God and keep on believing. Believe that His Word is true. Believe that His promises are yes and amen. Believe that God is a good God and He's got good plans for your life. I said it before, I'll say it again. If you're not dead, God's not done. If you believe, God will fill you with all joy and peace by the power of the Holy Spirit and you will have hope. There is no helpless situation that is greater than God, not even death to defeat Him. God gives us hope. Helpless situations. Have you ever gone through a season where it seemed like I was far off? Oh man, I remember some seasons in my life. I'd wake up for the Holy Ghost when I got up and I'd jump out of bed praising God. I'd sing in the toothbrush, brushing my teeth, singing the praises of God, hallelujah, glory to God. I'd walk around everywhere in the praise party. Then there have been other seasons. Lord Jesus, let me just pull the covers over my head. I won't miss it. I don't want to get out into this world today. Some seasons are easy. Some seasons it's not so easy. You don't feel like praying. You don't feel like worshiping. You don't feel like encouraging no Bible. Sometimes we go through dry seasons. And in times like that, I remember what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by and not by sight. When I don't feel like praying, what do I do? I pray. When I don't feel like worshiping, what do I do? I worship. When I don't feel like praising God, what do I do? I put on the garment of praise and I praise Him anyway. Why? Because He's worthy and His worth is not determined by how I feel today. In Job 38.3 and Job 47, God says to him, Job, gird thyself like a man. Put your big boy drawers on and get to work. Hallelujah. Dry seasons will come in your walk with God. But remember, they are only seasons. Nobody likes dry seasons. But God uses those seasons to strengthen our faith. God uses the dry seasons to make sure our roots go down just a little bit deeper to draw from that word water. Hello? Dry seasons teach you that your relationship with God is deeper and stronger than your emotions and how you feel on any given day. 
If you've experienced a dry season where it felt like God was silent in your life, that's where Israel was at this time in history when Zechariah was ministering in the temple. Zechariah's whole ministry up until this point had been during a time when God had not spoken a prophetic word to his people in 400 years. Almost all I say 400 years. That's how much time went by. There was not one recorded word of revelation or prophecy among the people of God. If Zechariah had given up and walked away during the dry season, he would have missed his miracle. That's a word for somebody. Zechariah, maybe like you are right now, was in a dry season, but if he had given up and walked away in the dry season, he would have missed his miracle. If he had given up when God seemed silent, if he had given up when it seemed like it was too late for his prayers to even be answered, he would have missed out on the miracle of a lifetime. Too many times we're like Elijah on the mountain. We're expecting the wind, the fire, and the earthquake. We're looking for the earth, the wind, and the fire. (laughs) The key to your miracle is not standing on the mountain waiting for a sign. The key to your miracle is often a simple act of obedience to God. If Zechariah had not been serving in the temple that day, he never would have met the angel at the altar of incense. But how many of us were backwards? We don't want to go to the altar until we see the angel up there. God says, no, you go to the altar and then you'll find me again. You go to the altar, then you'll get your word. Are you staying on the altar? Are you waiting for the supernatural sign before you move? Zechariah was simply faithful. And then the answer came from God. I get excited when I read this passage about Zechariah. Most people don't realize this, but when Zechariah received the word from God through the angel in the temple, it was the first time God had spoken to his people in 400 years. It was the first time God had spoken to his people since the prophet Malachi. When the angel spoke to Zechariah, this was six months before Gabriel ever talked to Mary, Zechariah heard from God first. And this is what amazes me. The first word from God in the New Testament is the same as the last word from God in the Old Testament. Don't don't tell me those two are connected. We serve a miracle, miraculous God. The last two verses of the book of Malachi, God says, I will send the prophet Elijah before the coming of the day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. What did the angel of God say to Zechariah in the temple in Luke 117? He will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. My God, my God. No matter how long you have to wait. God's promises are true and His Word will not fail. God is not a man that He should lie nor the Son of Man that He should repent. Have He said it and shall He not do it? Or have He spoken and shall He not make it good? My God does not change and I know that His Word was true. God is faithful. It doesn't matter how long you have to wait. You think you've been waiting a long time, try waiting 400 years. 
You think you've been waiting a long time. God is faithful to his word. David said, I was young and now I'm old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging for bread. He said, oh Lord my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. Isaiah 55, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God's word cannot fail. No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises in judgment against you, you shall condemn. That's the God I serve. He's the God of hope, and he is faithful to his word. Not only do we find hope in helpless situations, but God has given us hope for helpless humanity. The angel told him that his son John would come in the spirit and power of Elijah to prepare the way of the Lord. And Zechariah knew exactly what he meant. He knew that the Messiah was coming. But the Jewish people expected the Messiah to come and set them free from the Romans. Truth is, God sent Jesus to set us free from something far stronger and greater than the Roman Empire. Jesus came to set us free from the power of sin and death itself. Jesus didn't come just for one group of people. He came for all of humanity. Like we say around here, Jesus came for everybody. I like how Nelson Mandela said it. He said, we celebrate our risen Messiah who chose not one race, who chose not one country, who chose not one language, who chose not one tribe, but he chose all of humanity. Jesus is the hope of the world. He's the hope of you and your family and your neighbors and your old mean boss, too. Jesus is the hope of humanity. Truth is, we're all born in a hopeless situation. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means that every one of us, no matter how good we try to live, we still have flaws and faults and failures that disqualify us. Maybe you're here this morning and you're feeling guilty over mistakes you've made. Or you're here today and you're on guard because you're afraid that people are going to judge you and condemn you. Listen, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus did not come to condemn you. He came to give you hope. John 3.16 is a verse that we quote, quote a lot, but I like to put it with verse 17 too. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Listen to this. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. That's what all religious folk do. It's not Jesus. He did, God did not send him to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus didn't come to condemn anybody. He came to save everyone who's willing to come to him. Jesus is our hope in a hopeless world. Jesus gives us hope that we can know God and know life and know freedom. The Bible says Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven on earth visible and invisible. Jesus, the image of the invisible God. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. 
It's very simple. What was Jesus like? Jesus was full of love and compassion. Jesus never made anybody sick to punish them. Jesus never shunned anybody or turned them away. In fact, Jesus took people who were shunned by the religious folk, who were shunned by society, and he said, come on, let me love you and forgive you and restore you. We look at Jesus, we see the face of God. God is a God of mercy, a God of love, a God of hope, a God of compassion, and He loves you. Jesus gives us hope that we can be forgiven. Jesus gives us the hope of heaven. Revelation 21.3 says, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be His people. And God Himself will be with them and be their God. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things have passed away. Salvation is not something you do or accomplish or earn yourself. The Bible says it's the gift of God. If you want redemption and freedom and life and forgiveness that comes through Jesus, you have to receive it by faith. Jesus did the work for you. Here's what you got to do. Receive Him by faith today. Listen, life without God is a life without hope. But when you have Jesus, you got everything. When Jesus is Lord of your life, you can have a life of peace and hope and freedom like you've never known. People say, well, I want to live a little while before I, I know Jesus. You ain't lived it all to you found Jesus. He is life. The way, the truth, and the life. People say, I'll get right with God one day when I'm older. The truth is, we have no promise of tomorrow. This might be your last chance and your final moment. Why would you waste another second of your life? Give your life to Jesus and let Him really, really, really give you life. He is the author of life. Don't try this on your own anymore. He is the one who created you, the one who designed you, the one who really understands you, the one who wrote your story, your destiny, the song of your life. Put your life in His hands and watch what He can do. But don't let this moment pass you by. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Make Jesus your Lord. And watch Him change you and bring the freedom that you've never known. Will you close your eyes for just a moment as we pray? Father, I pray for those who are here this morning, God, who are longing for that kind of life and that kind of freedom. Lord, I thank You that You love them. I thank You for Your compassion for them. God, I thank You. Lord, You've broken down every barrier for them to come to You. Jesus, you paid the price for their sins. You paid the penalty. Lord, you've removed every weight, every burden, every barrier. All they have to do is come to you by faith and trust their life to you. Lord, I thank you for the promise of freedom, of deliverance, God, that you'll set them free. You'll wash them in the blood of Jesus. You'll give them a new identity, a new beginning, God, a new name. And I thank you, God, that today is somebody's day of freedom this morning. God, I thank you. Lord, for this radical change that's happening right now in this moment, God, as they put their faith in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, God, as they put they, they, they put their trust, God, not in this world anymore, not in sin, not in fun, not in thrills any longer, but they put their trust in the One who created them. God, I thank You, Lord, You're restoring their life today, that You're bringing freedom to them. 
Lord, I thank you that you're doing what only you can do. You're restoring them, breaking the power of sin off of their lives. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing right now, God, as we pray. If that's you this morning, I want to lead you in a simple prayer to just help you start that journey of faith and start that decision right now to live for Jesus. Will you pray this with me? Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. Wash my sins away. Make me brand new. I receive you by faith right now. And with your help and the power of your Holy Spirit, I'll live for you the rest of my life. Can you stand and celebrate this morning? Whether you've made Jesus Lord today for the very first time or you've been walking with Him for a long time, can we celebrate that He broke the power of sin and death off of us?